0: Thank you, thank you, you are very kind and it is a, a tremendous privilege to uh, share my welcome I guess to every single one of you, uh, for those of you who have not had the opportunity of introducing myself to before, uh, as these guys said, I, my name's Steve, I'm part of the leadership here, I've got an amazing wife called Philippa and uh, we have, she's great, um, and uh, we have two children. We have uh, James, who's four. He's kind of around right about this height. And uh, Lexi, who's maybe down there. She's two. And uh, we're actually pregnant and expecting number three in July, which is very fun. And uh, this, uh, this week has been a bit of a fun one for us because uh, we kind of had the halfway mark scan on Monday just gone. And so we were able to find out whether we were going to have a boy or a girl. And um, so what we did thinking, hey, maybe it would be fun in order to kind of uh, make it a surprise creative way of telling Lexi and James is that what I did was I filled a balloon, a black balloon full of glitter and uh, I, I apologise for the gender stereotyping, but what I said to them was that I'm going I'm to pop the balloon, okay, and um, if it's uh, loads of blue glitter that comes out, it's going to be a boy, and uh, if it's loads of pink glitter that sprays out, it's going to be a girl, and uh, so I said to James, hey James, what do you want it to be? He's like, I want it to be a boy, I want it to be a brother and I said to Lexi, what do you want to be? She says, I want a girl, I want to be a sister, which was awkward in and of itself. But we, um, we kind of g- gathered them round and said, right now, this is the special moment. And, uh, and we popped the back balloon and then blue glitter came out everywhere and we're having a boy. Which is, which is very fun in and of itself. And so, you know, James, how do you feel about that? He's like, yeah, I'm kind of having a, having a brother, we're having a boy. And I said, Lexi, how are you doing? And She's like, yeah, I'm having a brother, this is brilliant, which was quite a relief. And then I said, and I said, oh, it's great, isn't it? We're going to have a little boy. What do you think we should call him? And Lexi thinks for a minute. She says, I know, I know. We should call him a girl. <laughs> and I was like, I think, <laughs> I think she may have missed it slightly. But either way, she may well be in for a shock. <laughs> but listen. I just wanted to say thank you so much um, to all of you who have been praying for us during the start of our kind of Alpha courses this last couple of weeks, and we've had a brilliant kind of launch uh, period, and we've got around about eighty of us who are gathered together for kind of Alpha Beta and team, fantastic group. And um, one fun story was that I got to meet a couple of uh, people on that first night, and uh, just to share, hey, why was it that you came along to Alpha? And these guys uh, hadn't been to church for many years and, um, you know, no real uh, belief in God. Um, But having been traveling for three months, the guy I was chatting to said to me that he had just been laying in the bath. And uh, he'd been looking outside of the window. And uh, outside there were a whole bunch of trees. And he was looking at the detail on the leaves, looking at the number of different colors of green, and looking at the birds that were sat in them. And he said said that that, that in that moment, he was like, "I, I think there must be a God. And so, so, he, so he got his, his girlfriend to come in, laying, and he's looking out his window. So I, think, I think there's a God. We should do an Alpha course. Anyway, went, went online, searched Bedford Alpha courses, and then that evening came along to the King's Arms Alpha course. Isn't that amazing? Like the, the timing of God that someone would be spoken to just like that, I just think is quite astonishing. And you know what it speaks to me? It speaks to me the fact that in him there are no accidents. And and today, guys, it is no coincidence that you are here this morning. And I truly believe that He wants to speak with you. I truly believe that He wants to help you and actually do some work in each of our hearts, even in response to what the prophetic word was uh, in the worship time this morning. And so I would suggest you turn your expectation dials up a little bit. And uh, what we're going to be doing is continuing our Fresh Fire series. And I'm going to be looking at what potentially is a bit of a thorny issue of finding freedom from performance. Okay? Freedom from performance. Now, many of you guys will know, of course, that this performance and the mentality that surrounds it is very much prevalent in our society and our culture. And uh, for many people, our identity, if you like, is swallowed up with what we have achieved. And so our worth, can, we, th- we can think, is connected somehow to our output. And what's challenging is that even in the church, there can be this unhealthy competition, and there can be this unhealthy uh, sense of comparison with other people. And indeed, it's possible to begin to believe the lie that we need to earn God's approval. And if we do maybe the right things, maybe God will love us more. Now, that's not true okay? It's not true. And living with this kind of performance mentality actually becomes like a roadblock to everything that God wants to do in and through us. What we can do is believe that in in, in kingdom activity, if we fail at something, then there's something wrong with us in terms of our internal journey. Now, bringing the kingdom requires faith, okay? Which faith requires risk, And risk requires a degree of security in our lives. And actually what we do needs to be based in our identity. And I'm just being frank with you, this has been a real battle for me over many years. And um, it's it's a journey that I've gone, it's something that I've wrestled with and God's brought me to a certain amount of freedom. It was interesting, even last week, as Simon's preaching, doing an amazing job, and I'm like, man, I've got to follow this next week. And then Mike Green, bless him, good friend of mine, comes up to me and he puts his hand on my chest and he just waits for a minute and then he says, he said, God loves you, I love you, you're a very special man. God loves you, I love you, you're a very special man. And he's over and over and over again and you know what? From even from last week it's so to be reminded of these key truths and so I'm trusting that God's just going to take another layer of the onion skin off this morning and um, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be learning some lessons from uh, Paul's teaching, the Apostle Paul's teaching through a book in the Bible which is called Galatians, Uh, it was a letter that he sent to churches in that region of Galatia. And it's littered with loads of encouragements, but also some really provoking stuff, uh, because the, this, this particular group of people had slipped in some fairly serious errors. You see, what they had began to do was to say to new believers in particular, but wrestle with, you know, once someone starts to follow Jesus, then what? You know, what are the works we need to add to this? And so there was this debate, there was this argument that was kind of going on. In essence, they were trying to seduce people into striving and saying, you need to earn God's love now through your own efforts. And Paul uh, is very frank and he calls this sort of behaviour slavery. And so if you want to, maybe you want to go home and even read through those six chapters, but we're going to just dot in and out a little bit and look at what God wants to say to us. And so Galatians 5 verse 1, let's start here. It says this, It is for freedom, everyone say freedom. freedom, freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Here's the big idea. I don't want to hide anything from you. Because of Christ's life, because of his death, because of his resurrection, he's enabled us to be free from every bondage, every snare, every shackle that has held us. If you like, the prison doors have been smashed open. The wall is down. But now we have the opportunity of walking in that freedom. I would even go as far as saying it's now a responsibility for us to walk into the freedom that he has purchased. Now you may be um, a guest here this morning. Maybe you've come with Marco and Claire to celebrate and maybe it's your first time in church for a long while. And I guess I just want to go after what, something that Paul does many, many times because it's a, mis, uh, it's a misthinking about Christianity. And that is this, okay? that people, if you were to stop them in the street and say, hey, how would you possibly get into heaven? They would give you all sorts of different answers, most of which would be around behaviour and what people do. In fact, I came across a GCSE religious studies book this last week, Okay, so talking about what the different faiths believe. And underneath the section on Christianity, which said life after death, this is what it said. Now, look out for the issue here, okay? It says this, Christians believe in the physical resurrection of the body. At death, the body waits until judgment day. Catholics call this purgatory. And at judgment, a person faces God and Jesus to evaluate their deeds. Now, if they were good in life, they go to heaven, which is paradise and wonderful forever. If they were bad, they go to hell for eternal punishment. I don't know what sort of Santa Claus gospel that is, but that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ, okay? That is not the message of Jesus, okay? Paul absolutely hammers that kind of thinking through this book, okay? Uh, Chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. Before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. 326 says, For you are children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Chapter 2, verse 16 says, We know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For none will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. It's like you want to take a sledgehammer to that book, which, by the way, is in and out of our schools. It's frightening. On judgment day, you will not hear God saying, I was so impressed with how you lived your life, I'm going to let you into heaven. You won't do that. Instead, what's more likely is that he'll say, our father will say he was so impressed with his son's blameless sacrifice and will delight in you because you are clothed in his righteousness. Nothing that we did beyond putting our trust in him is ever going to carry that sort of significance. You know, there's this amazing exchange that happens when we put our faith in Jesus. It's like he gets all my F's, I get all his A's. It's a remarkable thing. It's this as God pours out his mercy and his grace. Mercy, guys, is not getting what we deserve, and grace is getting what we don't deserve. I remember listening uh, kind of time and time again to a CD by a guy called Peter Jackson who came here for many Father Heart conferences. And he said it like this. He said, whether you raise the dead or take a nap, the pay is the same. <laughs> Hammering performance. Whether you raise the dead or take a nap, the pay is the same. And maybe you're here thinking, do you know what? That just sounds shocking. Sounds like a scandal. You would be right. It is. You know, we have um, a ministry with the poor here called the King's Arms Project, a remarkable group of people who I love and appreciate, who um, in so many different contexts and areas, even around the town, kind of love people who have caught themselves or found themselves in homelessness and uh, difficulty. And about six weeks ago, um, the some of the team at one of our hostels, called Barton House, uh, took a group of guys um, over to Milton Keynes to hear a lady who's been doing missionary work in uh, China and Hong Kong for a long time now, uh, called Jackie Pullinger. And that particular night, one of the residents there stepped forward to give his life to Christ. It's a beautiful thing. So he, he, he makes that response and says, I want to put my trust in Jesus. He, he That week, he's carrying a Why Jesus book around with him. And then it was just seven days later and he was found dead in his room in one of our hostels. Now, he died because of an overdose, and he obviously left a huge hole in the house, and for the staff, and the volunteers, and those who loved him and supported him through that period. And um, you know, in one respect, it is desperately sad, absolutely, and it's painful. But you know, what we can point back to is the fact that now, Actually, even in that moment, he did nothing to deserve it like none of us did. There's no good works that kind of follow those things. And yet we can have assurance, just like the thief on the cross who died alongside Jesus. Actually, now he can know an eternity of joy, an eternity of peace, an eternity of being with a saviour who just at the right time stepped into his life to save him. Isn't that a remarkable thing? It's the scandal of the gospel. We did nothing to deserve it. It's all about Jesus. No earning, no performance. And you know, those of us who have got kind of caught up in this trap will realize that comparison, comparison with other people, is a real battle. Paul speaks about this in Galatians chapter 6, verse 4 says, Pay careful attention to your own work. Paul says, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. You don't need to compare yourself to anybody else. You don't need to. Comparison works a little bit like this. Okay? I feel great about myself when I feel like I'm doing better and more gifted than the people around me. Okay? If I am comparing myself to other people. But if someone more gifted walks into the room then suddenly my security... My uh, feeling of value in and of myself just begins to go to pot a little bit, okay? And I remember for many years actually struggling in this regard. No matter what setting I was in, I'd walk into a kind of group of people and I'd kind of look around and think, right, where do I fit here? Where do I belong? You know, where's my kind of acad- academic achievement in comparison to some of these guys? You know, who's, the, who's the fittest? Who's the funniest? Who's the, who's the most natural leader? And it's frightening how those things can rob us of the ability to both celebrate other people and then also just to be who we are in God. It's like we make this league table as to, you know, who's got the most material wealth? Whose kids are doing the best? And it's by those things we can feel a sense of value, and it's not right. It robs us of those connections. And the the, the worrying thing for me was that when I became a Christian, some of those things, they didn't immediately leave. It was almost like they just became different. Who's got the best Bible knowledge? Who prays the most succinct and powerful prayers? You know, Who seemed to be the one who was picked to go and lead a group or go on a ministry trip? And those things can begin to rob you of the truth and the identity of what God's got for you. And you know what? There's no shortcut, but actually it's a moment of divine healing that actually can set us free from some of these things. We can look for approval from other people and even... Uh, from God Himself, thinking, I want to earn His favor. Now, I know this is something I've battled with, and so I have to be very intentional. I have to be very, um, uh, you know, look out for those opportunities to say, no, no, I'm going to bless them. I mean, this, this last week, Simon and I went to a uh, Bedford Church leaders' gathering. And there was a stack of people in the room. And um, we had the opportunity of, just for a couple of hours, having breakfast, sharing stories, and then praying for leaders right away across this town. And so we met with people from Woodside and from All Nations and from Grace Church in Kempston, from Three Rivers, from Christchurch, just to name a few. And do you know what? I want to bless their socks off because I'm so proud of the fact that we've got such rich Christian heritage in this town. And I want to see them flourish. You know, I want to see them blessed and I want to see them succeed in Christ because they're looking to be Jesus' hands and feet to the people who they've been called to reach. And so we've got to go after any sense and stretch of of feeling a sense of competition because what we want to do is realise that we're all part of the same team. And actually, in God, we're doing remarkable things together for Him. And on a very personal front, it was uh, just last term. And I, I was just some processing some stuff with God. And this like, sneaky little lie popped into my head. And uh, the sneaky little lie went a little bit like this. Like, you, know, you think that you're a poor man, Simon Holly. And I realized that somewhere it manipulated. The enemy had got a handle on the fact that I had in my head that maybe I just do the stuff that Simon's now too busy to do. Now here's the truth. I love Simon Holly. Love him. He's such a good friend He's such a brilliant leader He's a guy who inspires me If I'm honest with you Since the 12 years I've been part of this church Since I became a Christian I don't think there's anyone Who's influenced me more than him I don't want to be him Alright I want to run my race Because God's got something different For me Organised That he has for Simon So I want to bless him I want to serve him I want to stand with him I want to push him on To what the race that is marked out for him But for me I realise that he's got Very different sized feet to me So I want to I want to wear my own shoes, okay? And I think it's so important because otherwise we can spend our whole lives thinking maybe someone else would do a different, better job. And actually instead of saying, look, there's a unique calling on my life and there's a unique calling on your life. And they're the things that we want to embrace and pursue. Otherwise, and here's the thing, guys. I want to stand in front of you and say, so, hey, look, you know, even as a leader in this church, I don't have it all together. I've got just as many insecurities as, as often. But what God's doing is that he's taking each one and he's beginning to bring healing there. And there's healing for every single person in this room. You are no cheap imitation of somebody else. Okay? You are no cheap imitation of someone else. Your job, your role and responsibility is to simply be the most godly version of you. Okay? You're unique. And God made you unique for unique purposes. Chapter 1, verse 10 of our book says this, I'm not trying to win approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. <laughs> Where do you get your sense of worth from? Where do you get your sense of value? Is, it, is there a performance orientation inside of you? It was maybe uh, 18 months, maybe even two years, that I'd just finished preaching a, a, a message. Um, and uh, I went to the, the back of the room in between the meetings. All right, So I was getting ready to preach at the 11.30, having done it already at 9.30. And a guy came up to me. And uh, he said, hey, hey, Steve, can I just grab you for a minute? I just wanted to apologise. I was like, sure. You know, what, what, what's up? Is everything okay? And he's like, yeah, well, I'll be honest with you. You know, When you stood up to preach, my heart sank. And um, he... He went on to say, but you know I just wanted to apologise because actually it was like these gems were just rolling out of your pockets and there was so much practical wisdom, it was so rich and it was so, such a great message, thank you so much. Do you know what I heard? Hey Steve, can I have just a moment of your time? And uh, I just wanted to, to apologise because um, you know, when, when you got up to preach, my heart sank. Blah, 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 <laughs> right? Now, when you live with a performance-orientated mind, sometimes that can be the case, and it's, it's, it's frightening. Now, thankfully, I'm, I'm kind of just about mature enough to say, oh, no, 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 I'm going to fight for listening to, 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 to the right words, because his desire, and this is a good thing, guys, his desire was to encourage me. His desire was to, to say, right, go for it again, that was great, and don't worry. But actually, it's it's fascinating how those things, it has the potential to rob you of what God wants to do by way of encouragement. Maybe, like me, you've been crippled by people's thoughts about you. Maybe their opinion of you is something that you've struggled with and wrestled with. And it might be different for you. It might be peers in the canteen. It might be your boss, who actually hasn't praised you and has been critical Maybe you are looking around at how other people seem to be parenting and thinking that other people are doing a better job. Bill Johnson, who's from a very influential church over in California, put it like this. He said, if you don't live by the praise of men, you won't die by their criticism. Some of us, I just think, we just need to simplify our lives a little bit. And the way that we can do that is by living for just one. John Wimber talked about trying to live his life for the audience of one. That's God himself. That's what Paul was doing. and That's not to say that we can't help each other, guide each other, support each other, encourage one another. And even at times, kind of bring challenge to one another in love. But ultimately, I want to serve him. And I want to make sure that my affirmation comes from him. Sometimes in a a spiritual sense, we can get all knotted up, can't we? Thinking, I need to pray the right prayer, say the right thing, and I want to perform in a religious context. The Bible says that actually we need to come to God like children. And I've been, I've been learning so much from my kids as they've just kind of taken their first steps into what it means to have a relationship with God. And so just around the table, uh, you know, recently we were, we were, we were kind of praying uh, just before dinner and James is like, oh, can I pray? Can I pray? I was like, sure, mate, you can pray. And, uh, you know, four years old, bless him. And he that, God, I want to thank you, he looks around, for Lexi's bib. And I want to thank you that it's pink. I don't want to thank you that it collects food so that she doesn't have a dirty top. And I'm like, this is, the most, this is the most precious little prayer. And there's just, you know, when there's like no pretense, there's kind of no expectation to do it. He's just delicately talking to God. And I love that. Sometimes I think we can learn, we can learn from these kids. And you know, performance is especially important when it comes to mission and evangelism, guys. I, mean, I, I, I want to see this town changed because it was loving people well. Okay, But if it comes from a place of performance and drivenness, actually we've got a major problem on our hands. Okay, Let's see what Paul says. Chapter 6, 9 and 10 says, So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore... Whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. Actually, the number of people that you see saved or healed or set free, in one respect, it's irrelevant. Your responsibility is to love and be obedient to God. Okay, That's what it says. Let's not get tired of doing what is good. I want to be good to people. I want to love people. Let's not give up. Let's be obedient to Christ's call on us. That's our responsibility. I tell you about a good friend of mine, Matthias. He's down here. He and I um, and a group of people actually kind of go out on the streets on a regular basis. You know, we try and make a point of doing it every week just to connect with people who, uh, you know, God might lead us to in, in a kind of street setting. And um, this last week, we were out together. And uh, one of the things that we do when we approach people is ask something called the miracle question. And uh, it's simply the way of getting into conversation about something of significance. And so uh, Matthias approached one particular guy and said, Hey, um, you know, if you could ask God to do any one miracle in your life, what would you ask him? And this guy immediately got stony faced, gritted teeth, and he said this. He said, Yeah, I'd ask God to stop people like you asking me questions about religion. That is a very awkward response. <laughs> Do you know, the, th- the thing about it was this, though. In that moment, it would have been really easy for Matthews and I to say, Do you know what? This is freaking me out a little bit. I, we, we, it's not going well today. We're going to bottle it, and we're going to go home and hide, because this is not fun. But one of the reasons I'm so proud of him is that in a few minutes, we were praying for stem. Stan was an Italian man who had a bad back. A few minutes after that, we were praying for Dennis, who was a black, backslidden Protestant. A few minutes after that, we were praying for two lads who have literally just moved over in this last month from Iran. And they were you know, trying to find a job here, and we got to stand with them and pray for them in the midst of their desire to uh, find work here and just say, look, you're welcome and we're grateful for you, and to bless them. Now, sometimes it would be easy for us to turn around and walk away. But actually, a man of security and a man who's willing to pursue God, no matter what sort of rejection we face, is someone who is not rooted in performance. Do you understand? Now, the thing is, when we are rejected, and let me just say, particularly in this kind of way, there will be moments that we are, actually, you are in very good company. Jesus Christ was rejected probably more than anybody else. Not deserving of it, but he was rejected. And yet, that's who we're representing when we step out to love people. So here's how we're going to land there. Right? I want to just share a few tips on how we deal with performance, and then we're going to pray. You see, we need to deal with this tendency to seek and earn love and acceptance, value through performing. And, and, and fundamentally, I want to be secure. I want to be a son, an heir, who just stands free from everything that would try and rob me in these veins. So, there's a few things we need to do, okay? The first thing, it might be for certain individuals that there is a root cause, okay? Almost like a situation or a circumstance, maybe even a person who has been, if you like, involved in shaping this kind of characteristic in you. And so, uh, something called projection is that sometimes if we haven't got the approval that we would like to have in another area of life, maybe from a boss, maybe from a parent, uh, you know, maybe from a teacher in your life, If we didn't get the approval that we needed from in those situations, we can project that and think that maybe God feels the same about us. Now, on one occasion, a few years ago, I was with a friend and I was trying to dig around and say, look, where do some of the roots of performance come from in my life? And I was taken back to a very vivid memory of um, an interaction I had with my dad. Now, understand that I love my dad. And um, you know he's an incredibly gifted guy, and um, he's a guy of, of incredible work ethic, and incri- guy of, um, of kind of real uh, kind of morality and, and um, creativity. But on this particular occasion, I was around about 17 years of age, and it came around the time when I was in college, and um, he, through various circumstances, had felt that I maybe was taking drugs. And um, I knew that that was not a, a good thing. I, I hadn't done that. And um, but what he did was that he, he, he kind of got me sort of late at night, sort of in, in the dining room, and uh, we sat either end of a table. The lights were down, and um, I realised that I had um, kind of taken back to this situation where my dad was saying to me, "Hey, this is kind of what you've done. I know that you have. You just got to admit it." And I, I, I began to realise the lump in my throat appeared because of the fact that he didn't believe me and he didn't trust me. And um, even in the midst of my kind of denials, there was this horrible moment of thinking, someone who I so admire, so want to impress, so want to feel a sense of affirmation and approval from, in that moment, felt so insecure, so lost, so, so broken. I remember, say, the lump in my throat, just sort of seeing this situation. And so what we did with my friend is that we began to process this encounter. And I began to speak out that what I felt was such an unfair situation. Why did you make me feel like that? This was such a painful thing for me. Actually, you didn't believe me when I was telling the truth. And then after I'd unloaded what I felt like were all the emotions that I could, I asked God to come and help me to forgive him. And I just kind of released him, cut the cord, as it were, to say, you know what? I'm, I don't want to have this sense of performance and feeling like I need to earn favor anymore. In that moment, my friend said to me, hey, can you, see, can you see Jesus in the room? And Immediately as I pictured that dining room and the chairs, I saw Jesus stood behind my dad. And he had his hands on his shoulders. And probably for the first time I realised that actually he's a broken man too. And he's in need of forgiveness just as much as I am. And I was able to just entrust him to God in that moment. And it was a catalyst behind me just being free to a new level. And the pedestal that I put my dad on, which was never fair on him in the first place, actually I realised that I wanted to walk free from. Maybe there's a route for you. Maybe there's a person. Maybe there's a circumstance. Maybe there was... A time when you realise actually that's a key element and we want to pray that through in a moment. Let me give you two final things. Sometimes we've got to speak out the truth. It's one thing to know the truth but actually to actually verbally say I'm going to connect with it in my heart. I remember when we had a lady as a staff team we just moved into this building we got together we had this amazing lady called Angela Kem who's like prophetic dynamite can I come and just do some ministry with us? And uh, she, she is part of the, of the time together, she, she kind of grabbed me to, to one side and, and was like, Hey, do you know that you're a really good guy? Honestly, I, I, I always just wanted to like, pu- push it away a little bit, and I kind of backed off and my head went down a little bit. And she said, Do you know that? And honestly, I, I couldn't say it, couldn't do it. So she's like, Hey, look, we're, we're going to do an activity with you, it's going to be great. She got, she got the whole staff team around in a circle. And she said to me, Steve, what you've got to do is I want you to look at people in the eye and I want you to be able to say, I'm a good guy. Now understand that somewhere in my deep subconscious, perhaps, there was this thought that if I can't bring value to a relationship, to a friendship, then why would anyone bother being friends with me? So I kind of went round and it felt like an absolute eternity. It did. I mean, Wendy was there, PJ was there, there were others. And it was this. I'm reliving it with me, thanks. There was this moment of, 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 of try, just, just trying to get the words out. I couldn't do it, and 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 I, 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 every time I would stutter and stumble and, and and then manage to just about drag out the words. I'm a good guy. I'm a good guy. I'm a good guy. I'm a good guy. And you know that the, the level of freedom and feeling that I got in that moment was enormous. As God just began to rewire me to be able to recognise this value in me as he's doing these things. Speaking out the truth is so important. And the final thing is this. The antidote for performance needs to be an encounter with God's love. His unconditional love. You see, those who are imprisoned in a life of striving, as I have been, they need... God to come really close and whisper what only he can do. Gentle words of love, affirmation and acceptance. Let me just read you a final story and then we're gonna pray. There's a guy called Michael W. Smith. He's a a Christian songwriter and worship leader, very, very gifted guy. If you don't know the name, you will definitely have sung some of his songs. Well, he said that he drifted into a lifestyle of striving but he was rescued by an encounter with the Father's love. He writes in a book, I had a good life. My mum and dad are my very biggest fans, but somewhere along the lines found out that my life started to be based on performance. I believed the lie that if you did all the right things, then maybe God would love you more. And then one day I was shaving, looking in the mirror and my knees buckled. I had to grab the sink from falling down because I had this massive revelation see God said to me Michael you know that I love you but do you know what I don't just love you I actually like you And not only do I like you I'm extremely fond of you and at that very moment I began to understand the father heart of God that he just wanted to be my papa for the first time I believed I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that he had my name written on the palm of his hands for the first time I knew that his mercies are new every day for the first time I believed that he came to give me a future and a hope and it changed my life because all of a sudden my life wasn't based on performance my identity crisis was solved I knew I was a son of the high king of the universe want that kind of freedom why don't we stand together let's stand together just engage with him he's a good God who's very much present by his spirit here and there are some people that he really wants to set free of the prisons that we've been walking and living in and the first thing I want to ask you to do with me is this there's another passage in Galatians which speaks about who God is now and what I want you to do if you're willing is to read it out with me not to buzz an hour but very personally into our hearts the I and the me it's gonna appear upon the screen behind me so let's read it at the same time okay just at the right time God sent his son born of a woman Subject to the law God sent him to buy freedom for me Who was slave to the law So that he could adopt me as his very own child And because I am his child God has sent the spirit of his own son into my heart So I can call out, Abba, Father I am no longer a slave but God's own child and since I am His child God has made me His heir wow wow thank you Father thank you Father guys just lift your hands for a moment close your eyes engage with Him I want to pray for you Father right across this room I want to thank you God that we are your children, we are your children and Father we want to come against every, every element of striving, everything of performance, every lie that we've believed about your character, everything God that we have thought that we maybe could earn your love and your affection, God and we come against it right now in the name of Jesus. And we repent Father we say we are gonna turn away and believe that we are unconditionally loved not because of our good deeds but because of your good deeds because your mercies are new every morning because your grace is sufficient because you Lord are enough for us and we choose this day to turn away from that wrong belief We choose, God, that we are going to work from a place of rest. God, we're going to work from a place of knowing your love, of knowing that we are secure. Father, we pray, come real close, even now, even now, Lord God. We recognise, Lord, the the issues with legalism and performance. We recognise, God, it's a hole never to be taken down. And I want to pray Lord God that every single person would feel even now the whisper of your spirit saying that we know that you love us God we know even more than that you even like us what a joy it is to know that more than that that you are even extremely fond of us right the way across this room personally God would you begin to whisper words of affection that only you can that only you can Thank you, Father. And I just pray, Lord, that sonship would come. Religious striving, go in the name of Jesus. Sonship, come. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing here.